Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sports Tone Podcast. Dashes Daily, Day 5, Australia. A 2 up. What an opening set of test matches we've had. The heist of Edgbaston and now the the cauldron that Lords became. Australia showed the resistance, showed the composure that was required to get the job done. Almost though Ben Stokes had repeats of heroics that you thought well once in a lifetime sort of innings, but he almost did it twice in a lifetime. Only a testament to how generationally clutch he is as a player. Let's start from the top, as always. And let's start from the way Ben Duckett and Ben Stokes were playing. They put on... Um, how many did they put on the day? Let's, let's have a look. Let me quickly pull it up for you guys. Um, I think they put on around... Um, sorry, just give me a second. Yeah, they put on around... Um, Around 60, 65-ish on, on day five. And it was sort of the perfect moderation and control that was required in the basball aggression that England display. They they were happy to take singles. Ben Ducker was happy to concentrate a short arm jab that pulled shot into the ground. Um, they were still finding gaps while playing that short arm jab. Um, Stokes was happy to respect certain balls. Um, outside off, but anything in his zone he would go for. That was, I think, what basketball was meant to be. Play the right shot for the right ball that you think is there. So Ben Duckett now knows that maybe playing a pull shot is not the right shot to play for that ball. Instead, he's going to play the short arm jab, which worked pretty successfully. Ben Stoke probably knows that driving, flashing the outside off stump when you're far forward down and the team is counting is probably not the right shot to play. So instead, he's going to take the single down to deep, deep point, and it was working perfectly for for England initially at the start of the game I also thought Australia's execution of the of the short ball plan initially uh, wasn't great the bouncers weren't rising and the line was a, a bit too sort of straight on the leg side which allowed Duckett to free his arms and play his desired short arm jab um, so to an extent I think I think Duckett also read this situation well he, he was seeing that Australia's short balls weren't rising nor were they well directed in, in terms of line so that short arm jab was in fact quite an effective scoring option which led to a few boundaries as well um, but ultimately Hazelwood got got a lot right he got it higher he got it straighter it was basically around the badge line uh, of Ben Duckett's helmet Ducker was cramped he had to hit the ball a bit harder he got a top edge and he was gone pursuing a wonderful catch by Alex Carey who we'll talk about later um, and the short balling in this play, in this match, it's it's anomalous. Um, Crickvis once again since two thousand six, um, no Test match has seen the hook such pull shot played more than in this Test match. Two hundred and two hook and pull shots, um, and already yesterday I, I told you that England bowled the shortest average length ever in a session, consecutively by the way, from um, the first session and the second session on day four. Now there's two hundred two hook and pull shots. Maybe that. Like the fact that that's so out there, that number has to be put into context because um, you are playing against a team that play that values hyper attacking batting. So uh, in other games where short ball bowling has been relentless and in a high volume, teams may have not played the pull shot and the hook shot as often as England did as England did at Lords. However, yeah, it, it was certainly um, probably the highest volume of short ball bowling that a Test match has seen. But yeah, England, um, after Ben Duckett got out, I, I think they had made a decent start, but they probably needed Duckett to go on a bit more. If Duckett could have got a century, I think England would have been in a prime situation when Bairstow coming in. When Bairstow got in, I felt that um, they had to get England at least 100 within the target, ideally 70. But yeah, if, if, they, if Bairstow and Stokes could put on 100 themselves, getting them to 280-odd, and then a wicket fell, 
then it was possible because I think you can eke up 100 with the tail um, even if England have a long tail and in the end that probably would have been possible with the way Ben Stokes was playing but Johnny Bairstow was dismissed let's paint the picture the ball has gone to Alice Carey's hands Johnny Bairstow thinks it's over so he walks outside of his crease however this is a trend what Johnny Besto is doing. He'd walk outside of his crease pretty early on after the ball had been collected. As soon as Alice Curry take the ball, Johnny Besto, re- without really indicating in any substance to the third umpire or the keeper, would walk down, do some gardening down the pitch. In this case, I think he thought it was over. So he walked down um, to confer with Ben Stokes, as you normally do, as a battle. However, the umpire had not yet said over, nor had the umpires, both the umpires made significant inroads towards the interchange of positions. The square leg umpire started to move a little, um, but the 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 umpire at the at the bowlers end had not moved or said over yet. Um, Johnny Besser also did not follow typical did not follow typical cricket protocol, which would be to look at Alex Carey and look at the third umpire and look at the square leg umpire and just indicate, oh yeah, guys, I'm going out to my crease. Um, and Alex Carey is, I think, aware of this trend of Johnny Besser going out of his crease early, so he undrummed it, hit the stumps. Besto was outside his crease, and he was adjudged to be out. Fairly so, it was within the rules, the ball wasn't dead, and Johnny Besto was outside his crease, therefore that classifies as a as a stumping. And um, the atmosphere at Lord's post-Besto's dismissal was, um, was fascinating. The ground and sort of the club of the MCC that is within Lord's, and its members stand, and even the rest of its fans, it, it sort of seems like a unified cult at times, synchronized clapping, um, standing up, barely sort of rowdily cheering, obviously general stands, you might have some fans who are doing that, but yeah, they're esteemed with these traditions, this cricketing etiquette, um, and sort of self-acclaimed, I guess, pioneers of the game, and home of cricket, etc., that cult had completely flipped on Sunday afternoon. It had now become a, a sort of a cult of hate against Australia. It had become a cult of making Australians uncomfortable and letting them know that their way of playing the game wasn't a right way. Interesting it was because Australia had played the game by the rules, the letter of the law, and if that isn't right, then I guess the law isn't right, and perhaps the law should be changed, right, and the players shouldn't be vilified for that. Nevertheless, the atmosphere was fascinating, as a neutral, it was unreal theatre. Um, Stokes would take the charge into the Australian bowlers, Stuart Broad was going back and forth with Pat Cummins, Cummins was smiling and off while having a few of his own words, Labuschagne was into Stokes, Alex, uh, Labuschagne was sorry into um, Broad, even Alex Carey had a few words, every ball the Lord's crowd had words of cheat for the Australian players, there would be strong boos that would funnel across the stadium and it engulfed and suffocated Australia, there were roars for each boundary, it felt like a united cult but not the typical Lord's cult it had become a cauldron of negativity for the Australians. And when broad face Australia looked to galvanise their own atmosphere, Labuschagne was into him, Cummins was into him, Carey was into him. It was very unlike what a normal Lord's game would be like, but that was what the occasion of the game created. And that 30 minutes before lunch was some of the most fascinating and sort of heart-throbbing cricket you could see. And I think that's why intangibles and sort of... Um, fans and antics and mindsets are such big 
us big, big sort of role in in crafting the spectacle of sports, but also deciding results in sport. It cannot just be confined to the rules, the mechanisms, the techniques. The a player's mindset matters. The way a way a player carries himself matters. The way the fans influence the momentum of the game matters, and it all mattered yesterday. Stuart Broad's antics were petty. I think they were petty, but they were comedic and they added to the drama in its own way. In fact, it might have been perfect for England at the time for Stuart Broad to act that way. He was going back and forth with the Australians at the other end. Ben Stokes was getting the job done. Broad, when Pat Cummins dropped the corner board of um, Stokes, says, do you think that one's out? Uh, at, at the end of each over, he would ask Alice Carey, is the board dead, Alice? Can I move out? The crowd was very aware of what Stuart Broad was doing, and they were roaring and supporting his antics each time, almost encouraging him and hailing him on because they resonated with him on an ideological level, or just because he's English and they sort of had to... Um, uh, as a matter of loyalty for the country. Uh, the game's pace, as, as a result, had become more frantic. Um, everyone, everything just felt more frantic. Broad was at, it, at the players. The crowd was at the players. The ball seemed faster. The balls were going to the to the boundary at a rate of knots. And I think Australia's bowling seemed to reflect this sort of frantic nature and this increased pace of the game. There were more wides than usual, more short balls than weren't, well as, than weren't as well directed and were rather half-trackers. And it just all played into the hands of the remarkable case study that is Ben Stokes. In normal situations, Ben Stokes can look at complete C with this technique at times. I think the first innings um, was a good example of that. Second, Was it first ball of the day? The second ball of the day on day day three? Edged, gone, um, completely squared up, completely played across the line. In the first innings against Australia, he averages close to 25, which is shocking. That is a very bad statistic for a player like Ben Stokes. But as soon as the hopes rest on him, as soon as the situation requires Ben Stokes to be the guy that has to step up, has to be engaged in the game, has to be locked in in the game, he turns into the world's best. It is a completely generational ability. I have not seen a player like this. 2019 World Cup, Headingley, 2022 T2021, sorry, no, 2022 T20 World Cup, here again, numerous times, even with the ball, he has delivered crunch wickets when he needs to in the situation. The only time in a cut situation where Ben Stokes has folded was the 2016 World Cup. And ever since then, while he may have not performed in every cut situation, he has changed games in cut situations more often than I can remember any player that has. And in quick in history, other than Mahindra Singh Dhoni, and perhaps even the case to say that Ben Stokes' cut gene perhaps also transcends MSD's ones too. I think it's the most consistent single-person display of calmness, resilience, and composure in dire situations. Stokes absolutely took apart Australia before and after the lunch break. Cameron Green was taken apart. Josh Hazelwood was taken apart. Yes, the bowling, as I said, was frantic and not very well directed, but the skill was remarkable. Anything in his zone would be sent back. And all of a sudden, it's like he just flicked the switch as Stuart Broad came in. It's like, there's no point hanging out. I gotta go. And he went and he executed perfectly. It's almost as if he was rattled. Not rattled at all. It was it was remarkable. And you felt that going to lunch, this game definitely still had um, a lot of juice in it. And Ben Stokes definitely could pull off something remarkable. And to be fair, lunch had enough juice in it as well. As this really walked in. Um, to the long room, they were getting booed. The boos from outside funneled into the long room, and the members within the long room joined in. There were 
a select few members who were actually having words to Osman Khwaja and David Warner. There were chants of cheat, cheat, cheat to the Australians. It was this cult once again at full force. And to be fair, I, I found it quite ironic um, that a country's cricket that has just been reported um, to be elitist and discriminatory when displaying sort of elitist ideologies again, this sort of stubbornness that cricket should be played in this in this way um, where certain rules shouldn't be applied even if they are rules. Because Spirit of Cricket, by the way, if anyone actually wants to figure out what Spirit of Cricket is, go on the MCC website. They have a preamble section. It's known as the Preamble Spirit of Cricket. All that preamble says is that the spirit of cricket refers to playing with respect, playing fairly, etc. Australia played within the rules of the game. Australia did not disrespect Johnny Bairstow in any way. Does that not then reflect the spirit of cricket? But what what's sort of been going on with the theme of English England cricket fans and sort of England cricket communities in the past few years is that they believe that there is a certain way of playing cricket. And this certain way of playing cricket requires certain rules to not be enforced. The Mankad rule better known as a non-striker run-out rule. And now, um, I guess this situation which in which Alex Carey chose to enforce the dismissal, um, it's quite elitist and uh, it's quite ironic. Nevertheless, as I said, it added to this tension, it added to this spectacle, it added to this theatre. And perhaps Australia were intimidated, I don't know. It's hard to know. But after lunch, it seemed Australia was still quite frantic. Hazel did not bowl well at all. Um... Stark didn't start well. Smith dropped a catch that he would take 99% of the time. Carey dropped a catch. Well, it was a difficult catch, but it was probably easier than the one that he caught and duck it off. Um, I think Pat Cummins has sort of lost sight of what he wanted to do because the plan just seemed pretty one-dimensional, um, which I'm going to elaborate elaborate upon in, in a bit. But even if the plan was a one-dimensional, the, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth more, the fielders would be deep and Ben Stokes would be easily able to get singles and Stuart Broad would barely face it just did not make sense, and I think Ricky Ponting um, on air was rightly at it, and I think Ricky Ponting was actually quite spot on with his tactics yesterday. I was so, so impressed by the, the work that Ponting and Nasser Hussain did yesterday. I think it was the opening stint after lunch. They worked together, Nasser Hussain sort of being the narrator and, un- and unpacking the story of the game in the perfect way, asking the right questions, and Ricky Ponting delving into the tactical intricacies and what Australia were doing wrong, and in the end, in fact, what Australia changed aligned with what Ricky Ponting wanted them to do so it was just fascinating test cricket to watch um but yeah initially after lunch and even before lunch australia's bowling plans seemed one-dimensional the television graphic um on air showed that ben stokes hit nothing in front of point in the whole partnership with broad that indicates australia were far too straight um and in his arc because that's where he hit all his boundaries um and also, I think it indicates that it's they were way too predictable because if he hasn't hit on one side of the wicket, that means you, you're, you're continuing to bowl on another side of the wicket, the leg side. Um, and um, the fact that he was hitting multiple sixes over and over means that the plan probably isn't working, the execution isn't right. Green bowled too many half-trackers, so did Hazelwood. Um, so there had to be a variation of plan at some stage and probably earlier than it happened, but at least it did happen. I think the lunch break was perhaps the best time to conjure up the variation plan. Sit down, calm down for 40 minutes, figure out what, what needed to happen. And Mitchell Stark probably had to come on straight away. But um, I think Pat Cummins was aware of that. Um, he noted that 
and he got a meeting with the senior players um, after and over. I think it was Pat. I think it was Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, David Warner, um, and a few other players. And they worked out that they just had to restrict Stokes' scoring option. T twenty like bowling is what Ricky Ponting accurately described it on air. So they went wide. They went outside the arc. Um, they took away the short boundary. And I think Pat Cummins there showed great leadership, initiative, and composure. He settled down, and he himself was at the forefront of executing that plan. He backed the youngsters like Cameron Green, who had just got tonked before, to execute. Um, and Australia slowed the pace down. They bought slower balls. They bought Yorkers. They went wider. They used the short ball scarcely. They went full. The runs slowed down. And all of a sudden, England only had like seven runs in the next four or five overs. Um, ben Stokes was starting to get a bit suffocated. Stuart Broad's antics were calming down. The crowd would seem to be getting a bit re- restless. And then... A ball sort of came up a middle stump. Stoke went into his pull shot, and this one didn't connect. Alex Carey took the catch, and that virtually signaled that Australia would have won that Test match. Josh Tong and um, James Anderson showed a bit more resistance. Ollie Robinson disappointingly didn't show much resistance, um, and perhaps if he did, perhaps the Stuart Broad applied himself a bit more after Ben Stokes got out. Then England could have got closer. But what I was so impressed by was how Pat Cummins handled the situation. He didn't really get into a fiery war, war of words with Stuart Broad. It was always sort of done with a smile and a laugh on his face. He always backed his players. He always said, Alex Carey, you've done the right thing. Um, and tactically, he was calm. Plan-wise, he was calm. It seemed he was clear with what he wanted to do. And um, yeah, it seemed that they had learnt from the errors and sort of the, the muddled thinking that that they that they sort of displayed in Headingley um, four years ago, and they, they and that they and that that they started to display at Lords for around an hour yesterday, and the game was gone if they displayed it for I think another twenty to thirty minutes. I think the game would have been gone, and Cummins at the right time realized and executed himself. What a bowler he is! We discussed on yesterday's episode. He is one of the world's best, if not the world's best. And yeah, I just think Australia are just too good for England. Is I think what we're seeing. Um, but I don't think this series is done, if I'm being honest. Um, I think 3-2 is actually still possible. I think England have been in winning positions in both test matches. I think if they can display that moderation and slight sort of control and gamesmanship that Ben Duckett and Ben Stokes did at the start of day five, if all of the batters can display that, if they can sort out some of the bowling plans, maybe get some variation in the attack with the likes of Mark Wood, potentially Matthew Potts, then I think they can pose a few different questions to Australia, and perhaps those questions might be too overwhelming for one test match. And if they just get one, the momentum might be with them. The whole nation is against Australia as it is, so this feistiness, this sort of ideological tension is bound to boil over into the following test matches, especially considering the short turnaround. So I still think this te- this test series, despite having a, having a one-sided scoreline on paper, is going to deliver... And it has definitely delivered in the first two test matches. Some of the best two test matches I've seen in recent times, if not the best two I've seen ever, potentially. Maybe hyperbolic, maybe recency bias. I don't know. What I do know is that cricket is alive. Hope you enjoyed the the daily breakdown of the second test match. I'll be back for you with the third test match. If you are enjoying these daily breakdowns, I would really appreciate a follow. Um, if you could give me a follow on your podcast app, leave reviews. It gets my podcast out there in terms of the algorithm. Um, share the podcast around and please provide any feedback. I, I have my socials in the description. My, my email is also there. Hope you enjoyed. See you soon.